Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Emma Powell, news editor. How are you doing, Emma? Yeah, very well, thanks. Good. Uh, Megan Boxer, how are you doing, Megan? Yeah, very well, thanks, John. Hey, again? Again. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Uh, yeah, it's been a busy week. We're sort of winding down on the results front, but still, still a busy week. And we've got quite a few interesting results to talk about, most of which you seem to have written. Megan? <laughs> yeah, well, it's been a lot quieter. And I was saying I didn't feel like I'd written very much this week, but, but I don't have. think anyone has. But you know, you have. Uh, lots of farmer results. Yeah, yeah week, there's so know. many small farmer results, which is quite interesting. Yeah, and they, they are interesting. There's yeah. some good, good ones as well. Mm. New section, Emma, you're going to talk us through that. You've written half a new section. Yes. As well as editing it. Correct. Uh, including a nice new IPO. Yeah, Challenger Bank. Challenger Bank. We like Challenger Banks. Charter Court Financial Services. Yeah. It's a very interesting history, that company. Let's talk mm. about it in a minute. Uh, and then we're going to get Simon uh, Thompson on the line later to, uh, to chat through his picks this week. Let's start with the news. Let's start with Charter. Started trading unconditionally on Wednesday. Um, so the day before we're recording this, it's Challenger Bank. So think One Savings Bank or Aldermore. Those are, would be its kind of closest peers that are listed. Mm-hmm. So it started in 2008, which you think would be a strange time for a uh, mortgage mortgage lender to start up business. It actually started as a, a kind of administration business. It used to do consultancy and kind of analysis for a lot of other big banks. So I would, ima- um, I would have imagined in 2008, that was the perfect time to be a mortgage consultant because there well, were lots yeah, of mortgage books that needed yeah. cleaning up at that point. Yeah. And they actually say that one of their major strengths in operating in this more specialist market is the fact that they've had had so much experience analysing billions of pounds worth of mortgages on behalf of other banks, so it helps them kind of price risk very appropriately. Yeah, so, so, so like some of the other challenger banks, they are lending to what you might consider some of the sort of riskier ends of the yeah, market. Yeah, yeah. So they do, the majority of what they do like One Savings Bank is buy to let, but One Savings Bank is much more professional landlords really, whereas they're a bit of a mix actually between professional and non-professional. And they do specialist residential mortgages, which is people that might struggle to get a mortgage with some of the mainstream banks, but not necessarily because they're kind of subprime, but because they may be self-employed or they may work for an LLP or something like that. So um, it's a bit harder for them just because they're non-standard to get a mortgage. They also do, which is a minor part of their loan book, kind of second charge mortgages um, and bridging loans. So that's that's mm-hmm. basically what they do. They started in 2010 lending mortgages. I read my, my plumber was telling me about this. He's a, a very successful plumber, a very good plumber, uh, but he couldn't get a mortgage because he's self-employed, a, even though he's absolutely no credit risk whatsoever, you, you would yeah. imagine. But of course, they're willing to take on this extra risk. And, and, and presumably, that's partly because they have this this understanding yeah, so of that, the mortgage yeah. market that they've developed through this, this administration. Yeah, service. because their roots are in administration and analysis and consultancy. Mm. I, I quite like the, the, the ownership story. So it's come out of, of essentially a hedge fund. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's Elliot Management, which I'm sure we, readers we know. will be very, very familiar with. They've got their fingers in so many pies. Um, and, and, and interestingly, in light of our conversation, our feature about IPOs last week, they've held on to a big stake. As well. Yes, 54% after selling down part of their stake. It was also founded by a few of the management that are still there, the CEO, the CFO, um, and some others that are all still in management. Okay. No, it sounds interesting. I, I, we like the story. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's fairly priced. We, we have to wait for about another another month according to the company before they get you know forecasts out but it's a very fast growing loan book it's got very good capital levels so yeah it looks good 
Okay, and uh, you know, as we discovered last week, you know, IPOs can actually, yeah, even if you don't get in on the first day, can actually offer you some good returns over the course of a year, especially yeah. where you have this sort of incentivized owner that's still still part yeah, of the yeah, business. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, interesting. Uh, let's talk about NEX. Not a business I understand especially well. It's a kind of weird, complicated financial services and trading group, but they've had a bit of a shocker. Yeah, it, it was ICAP. So obviously that, that'll be the name that's more familiar um, with readers. Um, it's actually pronounced NEX. Apparently. Oh, it is NEX. Yeah, it's NEX. Okay, um, fair enough. But yeah, they've had uh, what was, well, a more of a margin warning this week. So NEX optimization is their big, it's post-trade risk and information services. Oh, that's um, that old thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually what they're focusing on now, which is, I think, why the shares, they dipped by about 7% on the day. They've yet to, to recover because it is the kind of major growth area for them, accounts for a large part of their profits. Um, basically, they're investing a lot ahead of MIFID 2. They anticipate this big demand in uh, regulatory reporting service requirements. Um, so they're investing a lot in that. Is, is that going to be something that's common across the financial services sector? No one can avoid MIFID 2. No Nobody one can avoid can method avoid too. Method. So, so are we going to see, I mean, you know, Nex has had its problems. Uh, it looks at the shares are quite expensive. We're not exactly they're, bullish. They're very expensive. Um, yeah. But is this something that we can expect to see more of throughout your sectors, the financial services sector, as companies try and get to grips with Mifid too? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we, we seem to be having announcements every week. We've actually got another story on Fidelity uh, right next to the, the next story um, about, you know, how they're charging. That's more on the investor side, how they're, they're not going to shoulder the fees. They're going to pass it on to their clients, which is quite unusual, maybe controversial, some would say. But definitely, I mean... It's coming up in January 2008, and there is no way that any asset managers or anyone can ignore it. So, so is this? I mean, is this a, a risk? Uh, you know, in terms of, are we going to see more profit warnings? Do you think? You know, if you expose the companies, if you have them in your portfolio, companies that have exposure to to the regulatory requirements of MIFID two, should you be wary? I wouldn't actually say so, to be honest, because I think we've known about it for, or they've known about it for a long, long time, and. Actually, speaking to Next, they were saying that this this additional investment is more for people they think who maybe have left it a little bit too late, or you know, you'd imagine that we've known about this for so long, you surely got all your processes in place. That's no, a, that's a very interesting assumption to make because well, people tend to leave things at the last minute. It is yeah, but if you're a big asset manager, do you? Uh, you'd be surprised. Well, maybe, maybe. But no, I wouldn't say that you should be wary of asset managers and things like that. It is quite an expensively rated sector at the minute, though. But of course, that's true of the entire UK stock market. Absolutely. Not as expensive as America, but there you go. Yes. Uh, let's talk quickly about seven days. A lot of trading updates here. One, yes. one of which I thought was, was particularly interesting, which was Tops. We don't talk about it too much. It's a tile retailer. Mm. Um, and it's one, it's one that that people tend to look at as a kind of it's not I wouldn't say it was a bellwether of, of the kind of home improvement sector but but, but, yeah. but it certainly can tell you something about what's going on in that sector and is, this is not a good this is it's a not good it's a profit warning it's a profit warning so they expect so their like for like revenues fell during the year and they also expect uh, profits to be lower pre-tax profits to be lower than they originally expected they cite challenging consumer market conditions which seems to be the line that most retailers are trotting out at the moment but yeah, not not a good not a good update from them, and the shares did fall. I think about three percent on the day. Mm, it's a it's a funny one because you know tops is you would say a beneficiary of the kind of m- improve don't move trend. Yeah. Perhaps people are not even improving anymore. Perhaps all the improving is done. It's 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 a it's a very I would say worrying market actually home improvement. 
Yeah, I'm spending a bloody fortune as usual, but uh, but yeah, maybe not everyone else is. Yeah, I guess if you can delay doing work on your house, maybe you would. It's not entirely necessary. Mm, mm, You know, I don't know how how discretionary it is. I mean, it's interesting. You know, the housing market is something that Ian Smith talks about in his uh, taking stock column uh, this week. He's looking at the house builders specifically, which are looking expensive on some measures. However, uh, he he thinks that that there is enough uh, of a tailwind to 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 keep the, the momentum going there. But of course. We've had some some news from uh, from the Conservative Party conference. Theresa May has announced more cash for help to buy. Yeah, ten billion. Ten billion, and also she's going to build some council houses. Yes, yes, probably not enough, but um... I hope she employs better builders than the ones that put up the uh, the sign behind the, uh, the 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 podium that she was speaking at. Do you know what they blamed it on. They blamed it on glue. The, no, they blamed Bad. it on all the clapping that all of the wind. <laughs> they blamed it on the clapping that all of her cabinet were having to do to keep her boosted while she was sneezing and clapping her way through sorry. speech. They clapped too so hard yeah, that the letters so fell off the wall behind them. <laughs> I've never heard anything like it. Yeah, you it was to feel a bit terrible. Sorry for her, and we've we've got an event tonight, and you know I always always get a few pre-event nerves, but you know having watched that, nothing can be as bad. Because <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like she was saying the wrong thing; she just couldn't say it. Yeah, I, I it was I've, I've re- really felt sorry for her, and 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 it makes me even more terrified about UK politics than uh, yeah. than I was before. Having said that, UK politics is fairly fairly tame compared to say yeah. Spanish politics. <laughs> There's a lot going on this week, John. There, there was there was, but the Spanish market's been thumped, mm. unsurprisingly. Yeah. I mean, it's a terrifying situation. There you go. Uh, talking of Europe, uh, there's an interesting story here about tax and tech, a subject which comes up again and again and again. They're going after Amazon mm. for a lot of money. Yeah, Amazon hasn't been paying as much tax as it should have been paying in Luxembourg. Luxembourg. Now, let me think. Who was it who used to be president, <laughs> prime minister, whatever it is of Luxembourg? Oh, was, it, was it John Claude Juncker? Might well have been. Might, could, could well have been, yeah. So uh, they apparently owe about 250 million euros. Um, Seems quite a small, small change, really. But, I mean, for Amazon, it's actually not that much money, but it's it's a it's a relatively big chunk in the... Uh, in the grand scheme of things. But they've also reiterated their uh, pursuit of, of uh, Apple Apple's in, tax Ireland. in Ireland. Yeah, so they, that figure, oh no, there we go, 13 it's 13 billion. billion, it's there. Um, yeah, so Apple were doing, was doing a similar thing in Ireland where, uh, where it just wasn't paying, it's called a sweetheart. Sweetheart deal. Sweetheart yeah. deal, yeah. So they were giving them, the European Commission says that Ireland was giving them illegal state aid, which obviously, um, you know, you're not, not meant to do in the EU to, to make it fair. We know, Megan wrote about um, about Google's fine not so long ago, and I think mm. it's probably more symbolic that, that Europe or the EU is clamping yeah. down on these big tech giants. Yeah, there's definitely a big theme in uh, in Europe at the moment, which is we're not going to let let these massive tech companies squash squash us and just do what they want because they have such dominance. I mean, there is a broader political point which actually brings us back, I would suggest, to Brexit. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, we, we actually want these businesses to headquarter in the United Kingdom. Well, that's Kingdom. what the argument was. That's what, that, that's why Ireland did it. That's why Luxembourg were, were offering these deals because they want, the, they want the employment there. I mean, I know so many people who work for Amazon in the UK. Apparently, when they log on, the Google in the Amazon headquarters thinks that they're in Dublin. That's where they are. That's where their internet router goes through. Mm, that sounds iffy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no. But it, but it is interesting because within the EU, we can't offer sweetheart tax deals. Although the, these companies, well, you do can, seem, but you'll just be uh, you'll clamped down on. Yeah. yeah. Although the you know these companies do seem to get away with paying uh, very little tax on on very large revenue streams outside of of the EU, we can do what we like. Mm. 
<laughs> hello, hello, tech industry. Mm. We are we are going to become Singapore after all. <laughs> so it seems. Um, okay, let's uh, let's pick up one more thing from uh, Seven Days. I quite like this uh, the story about uh, the equity market recovery. Yeah, going back to financial yeah. services. This is good news. The, the, you know, markets are expensive. Nerves are frayed, but London's do, you know in terms of in terms of fundraisings, he's doing quite well. Yeah, compared to last year. And I think actually we kind of knew this anyway, just anecdotally with the amount of IPOs that have been happening this year in comparison to last year. I know Megan actually wrote a spotlight on it where you compared uh, the data and it, there has been a recovery. Um, and we've had some really big ones, but this was uh, an update from Numis and they reported a big increase in equity issuance and a big increase of revenues because of that. So I guess it's not less uncertainty, is it? Maybe people are just thinking... I just have to get on with it. Or is it, is it yeah, bolting for the exit before the door slams shut when everything goes well, south next year? Yeah, potentially, maybe. Mm. But, anyway, you know, Charter Financial is quite a big IPO. It's, uh, it's yeah, good, yeah, it's yeah. I stuff. mean, it's 550 million market cap. We've had Eddie Stobart Logistics. Didn't raise a lot of money, though, did they? It was Elliot selling down their stake, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, um, let's quickly turn to uh, results this week. Uh, as I say, Megan, you've written half the section, it seems. So <laughs> let's start with... Uh, the Good Week uh, candidate, yes. CVS, which I know you're very keen on. Yes. It's just such a great story. I mean, it didn't have a great start to its life on AIM. And now it's, it's just it's just been doing phenomenally well. It came out of private equity when it, um, when it listed. It's just been gradually buying up veterinary practices around the UK. It's the largest consolidator of the UK veterinary market. And, and, it's, and it's a very fragmented market. It's such still. a fragmented. So it's the biggest veterinary company in the UK, but it owns about 10%. It's crazy how, um, how many individual practices that are privately owned but the market's changing people vets don't necessarily want to work for themselves anymore they want to be working in a larger corporate situation where mm-hmm. there's a lot more certainty and it means that people are willing to sell and there is a little bit more competition now than there used to be like pets at home has also got into the same sort of- a, a, a pets at home acquiring sim- similarly yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there's other ones that are that are acquiring as well which has pushed the prices of uk veterinary practices up a bit but cvs does it sensibly i mean it bought a load more in um in this most recent um year that they were reporting on and and the, they integrate them really well and they just make loads and loads of cash from them which they then put straight back into new practices that is a, that is a, i mean looking at that table the the profit uh, growth is is yeah, very phenomenal. very steady yeah. and very very large as well yes, 59% yeah. reported yeah. profit increase yeah and that is through a lot of acquisitions but i mean that's just how it works and even in this um, current financial year, which is only we're only three months in, they've already made ten, ten more acquisitions. And do, do you know what it feels? It feels a bit like um, uh, dignity. Yeah, very it, much so. Yeah, it's a similar similar. They do actually have pet crematoria. I'm as sure well. they do. Um, yeah, but that's what that, what else is great about it. They serve the entire pet market. Horse. Yeah, and they do horse. They're they're getting into equine as well. Elephants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We've um, got an elephant on the cover. I don't think they do elephants yet. They do farm animals, but. Not elephants, but anything. They they have the food, they have the 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 medicine, they have the beds, they have the insurance, they have the whole the whole lot. Yeah, I mean, pets at home. We we kind of we like that story too, but it hasn't been yeah, it hasn't, hasn't been, been plain so sailing well. for them. No. What what are they, what are CVS doing differently? I mean, I think CVS is just doing it a little bit more simply. It didn't. I don't think it went too much into the we're going to have these massive because what pets at home they have massive stores mm. and it's that that's been I love their stores yeah same <laughs> it's a great day out at pets at home store you can buy a but, lot of the stuff they sell they're a lot cheaper online yeah, I mean I know for oh, our yeah, dog yeah. that you just order it online it's so much cheaper yeah, yeah. it's quite expensive and you can get it like who wants to buy a massive box of dog food from and then have to haul it into the car yeah. when you can get it delivered to your house but what CVS have done was it was more like the medicine side which is 
much more niche and they just sell them all through their own practices and then the veterinary which is not anyone can be a vet um they so they've gone down that route and then expanded outwards rather than doing these massive buildings where all the retail stuff comes in Um, and for tvs is actually listed as a retail company but I mean, it kind of falls into the into the pharmaceutical side as well because it it, it is a veterinary business. Um, indeed, indeed. Okay, well, we still got that on a buy. Yeah, even though it's quite expensive, but I mean, well, a lot, I, a lot I of markets to consolidate, as you say. Yeah, I can't see the the, the challenges aren't aren't that clear. So and people are not going to stop loving their pets. Exactly. Okay, what else we got? Uh, Tesco. Yes. On the mend. It seemed like it was, it's doing pretty well. It seems to have sorted out its problems from couple of years ago when it had to cut the dividend um, from the accounting scandal which is actually I think that trial's going on, that trial's going on at the moment still going isn't it on, yeah, the, the criminal trial um, the criminal trial and it seems maybe it's still affecting sentiment but it doesn't seem to be affecting the numbers too badly I guess the big story here is that they're paying a dividend again. yeah so they've well, I mean it's not very much it's 1p a share in the interim and they're thinking probably about 2 pence a share for the full year which is about 1.5% yield over the full year but I mean it's something It's it's just I think I think what's nice for the Tesco investors is it's a show of confidence that actually the recovery story is on track. Things are going well, even though there are so many competitors. We've got Aldi and Lidl, and now you've got Amazon creeping in as well. They they seem to be doing okay to sidestep those challenges. As, as you all well know, I'm a big fan of the scuttlebutt approach to investing. Uh, and I have a Lidl and I have a Tesco. They're all pretty much next door to each other. They mm. do different things. Yeah. They're different shops. Yeah. And you kind of realise, yes, there are certain elements in which they compete, certain, you know, cheap food. They mm. obviously compete. But, you know, there's certain things I want to buy that I have to go to Tesco yeah. for. But there's other things... I don't really care so much about that. I've got a little for. So I, th- I think there was room in the market for these. Yeah, and it like what Tesco does, it does pretty well. I mean, it's it has got a part of the market which, like you say, there aren't really any others in that in the sort of lower end, but not little. Um, it's cheaper than Sainsbury's. It's cheaper than Waitrose. Obviously, it's and it's doing what it does okay. And it hasn't what well, it hasn't been doing. It hasn't been hiking its prices too much, um, where the others other supermarkets have been doing that because of the inflation mm. um they've been trying to keep their slightly cheaper end of the market and it is noticeable how tesco is quite cheap i found it quite noticeable that tesco's prices are quite good and they, they kind of they seem to be trimming the, the group to, mm. to, to really focus on on the uk which is what they do yeah. best yeah so they've um they've come out of thailand they've sold a load of stores in poland as well they're just selling the stuff that's not doing very well which seems thailand, thailand was good business though yeah and then it's i think it just changed really quickly i don't really know i what think happened. thailand has changed yeah. a little <laughs> yeah, bit that's true, but, um, <laughs> asia was doing phenomenally well until like six ten months ago and now it's not doing well so they were yeah just get out of it and probably while they could get a decent price for yeah still. yeah and yeah so asia they think is going to be doing all right again but yeah it seems to be the uk that they're focusing on and the uk is growing really really nicely okay well good back into tesco maybe mm. uh emma is there anything you uh you, you wrote in the results section this week that you well, i've uh, been uh, covering jonas he's on sabbatical so uh, excellent so, so it's all property for you then yeah well james halstead I, that, that's flooring. an interesting story it, 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 i think it's quite interesting it's floor flooring floor materials Always in the market for flooring materials myself, but it's—I it, it, mean—the share price is done. It's not, it's not looking great. What's the, what's the story here? It well is it, it part of that top story that home improvement is basically cooling to an extent? I mean, actually, what's really hurt it? It's uh, two in the UK. Two of its largest distributors started destocking. One was sold by its parent company, um, and the other distributor was just focusing a lot more on its margins. And so again, destocking and and you know trying to die down on on its you know on the amount it was spending on products so that really hurt it in the uk 
Germany is just a very competitive market, management said. So it was flat there. So I think flat sales in Europe overall. But it's done better in um, Asia Pacific, big margin increase. It's had big contracts. It's done Woolworths across across Australia. But the shares are quite, I mean, we've just got them on a hold because the shares are very expensive. They're about 25 times forward earnings. Not as expensive as they were six months ago. Well, yeah, but that's obviously because of the uh, because of the share price. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned Germany because we have, uh, I know you didn't write them, Jonas actually managed to sneak these two in before he disappeared for a month. Summit Germany and Phoenix Spree. The German property story is, is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. These these companies are both flying. That's yeah, because so of I'm, capacity constraints in Berlin, isn't it? Yeah, it's not enough property. Basically, you can't build there. Yeah, the permitting is yeah only allows so much to be built every year. So if you're sitting on residential property in Berlin, you're laughing, which yeah. they are. So uh, so yeah, we. I mean, I think we spoke about that. That was a story we brought up when Stephen. Wilmot was company's editor, which was some time ago now. I think he, he was all over Germany, and uh, and uh, it's proved a good bet. Um, okay, should we get Simon Thompson on the phone? Hello, Simon. Hi, hi, John. How are you? I'm all right. You well? I'm, I'm, I'm better. I'm, I'm on the mend. Let's put it like that. So it's all positive. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Um, what have you been writing about this week? Um, I've written about nine companies in total, two, two columns. Um, Engineering Games is the magazine one, and uh, some really interesting companies there. What, one was an IPO, Strix, which is a global leader in... Um, the design and manufacture of kettle safety controls. Yeah, I love this story. We've got we've got their results in the magazine this week as well. But this is this is an amazing story. This it's is this, cracking, this kind of company. Cracking story. I mean, it's, it's it's. I mean, to give you some background, there's a chap called Eric Taylor who, in the Second World War, invented a thermostat to control the heating of the flying suits for bomber crews. This technology was then commercialised, and then his son John John Taylor, in the 1980s basically pushed the business forward and it became the world leader in supply of these safety controls for small domestic appliances. And it's been so successful that a kettle is boiled every day more than one billion times by consumers across 100 countries, accounting for over 10% of the world population using Strix's safety controls. So um, 38% market share by volume, 50% by value of the global market. Around about 174 million sets of these safety controls are produced each year, and it's the market leader. Okay, so how comes it's just coming to market now? You know, it, it, it seems such a good story. Why, why, why has this one sort of crept under the radar and onto aim, as it were? Again, it, again it's the uh, private capital, private equity capital are um, getting out, and um, the, the owners had the company for 12 years. 26 financial institutions actually bought into it, and some big names are on the share register, which is comforting. The, the likes of Might and Schroders, Woodford, and, and you know, the list just goes on and on and on. Um, it's, it's a big company, and market cap is about £280 million now. It's, it's shares have done really well since the float in August. I, I wrote it up back then, tapping into a IPO um, a couple of months ago. Uh, but I still think there's further to go here. Yeah, um, so you so you you know ask the question why are private equity getting out now uh, and obviously putting the shares uh, onto the public markets uh, and what's the opportunity given that it has such a high share of the global market for for this uh, technology? Can I call it technology or is it too uh, is no, it no, it's, too, it's too mundane I mean, for that? Oh, no, 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 it's, it's, no, it's, it's definitely technology. I mean, uh, they, they've got 150 patents uh, which they defend 
uh, rigorously. Uh, sorry, the, the opportunity is, the last four years, you've had compound annual growth of revenues of 12%. And this, this company is actually targeting export markets, emerging markets, where kettle use isn't, isn't as great. Um, it's got a 16% market share in those, those, those regions, uh, whereas in you know, Western markets of you know, Europe, U.S., Turkey, it's, it's over 60%. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's where the growth opportunity is coming from. Um, and also, it's one of, the, one of those stories that as people become wealthier and more affluent in, in these emerging markets, then um, they're more inclined to actually use a cattle. Um, it's as simple as that, actually. <laughs> a cattle costs about 20 quid. Uh, well, it, it may cost 20 quid in Britain, but it's a, it's a lot cheaper overseas. Um, but but the point the point being that you know for example in China you've now got 400 million people in the middle class whereas you know if you go back 30 years it was a, it was a fraction of that. I, th- I think another interesting thing you mentioned is that that you know Britain Europe the the, the markets that Strix operates in have, have fairly you know where where it's most uh, uh, successful have have very high uh, safety standards which are not necessarily in place in other countries. Well, that, that's a cracking story behind this because what they do is that they go they've got very good relationships. Um, uh, with the likes of Siemens, Philips, etc., and, and they, they they use their strong power in the industry to to approach um, um, different countries and try and introduce higher safety standards. It's a bit of lobbying, but but at the same price. So okay. so if if you're um, if you're a retailer in China and you're being offered a product that's far better, far superior than something on the market at the moment, but at the same price, you take it. So, I mean, that's their key key entry into these markets. Okay, um, so, so and, cheap, cheap and, shares, looking at, the, uh, looking at your write-up. Um, they're, they're trading on roughly 10 times earnings for next year, which is not a bad valuation. Oh, really? Uh, price around about 144 pence or so. Uh, there's a decent dividend, which is covered twice over, so the forward dividend yields 5%. Um, oh, it, t- it ticks lots, lots of boxes. Um, I put a target price of £1.50 on the stock. I've actually upgraded that by 10% after the results, so we're looking at roughly 165 stock price 144 now, so... I think you know the share price could heat up a bit more. I, I really, uh, yeah, I was waiting. I was waiting for the pun, Simon. I was wondering when it would come. <laughs> it hasn't. It hasn't hit boiling point. But, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, effort, I'm effervescing about the story. Uh, can we? Can we hang up, please, Alex? <laughs> um, no, I really, I really like the story. I think it reminds me of. So we have we have a, a writer called Todd Wedding who who uh, he's, he's out in America. He's an analyst, and he occasionally writes for us. And he talks about something called a def, uh, defensive moat, and this seems to have one of them. It's kind of a technology that it's not a big enough opportunity in, in its own right for for other companies to want to enter the market, but it has such a presence that that it has that market to itself. And and it's got the patents. And the patents is the it, most important thing, it, which um, and it, it doesn't just defend these in you know the likes of China and the Far East. It, it defends them in Europe and it wins the cases. That's yeah. important. So, classic classic defensive moat story. I, I I like it a lot. Yeah, I, I I'm kind of erring towards that view as well. Um, what what else you got, Simon? Um, one of my 2017 bargain shares, Aving Trans, had results. It's a maker of critical components. Um, to the energy, medical, industrial sectors, to give you some idea of what it does. Um, it's got a contract with Sellafield to produce waste containers um, to take away the um, 
the nasty stuff safely. Um, that contract's worth £47 million over the next 10 years to produce over 1,000 of these containers. Well, according to the directors of Sellafield, they'll actually need between 30 and 40,000 containers to actually get the job done. So there's masses of upside there. And um, or you know, another thing that they do is that they produce components for airport scanners. There's a big company called RapiScan um, in California, uh, which has created the first scanner to pass European civil aviation standards for detection of um, baggage-borne explosive um, devices, and they're actually supplying the components to that, and that, that's in a you know, decent contract as well. Um, interestingly, that, that standard will become compulsory for airports um, within three years, so that there should be upsides. Um, the reason I followed it is that the guys that run it, so Chief Executive Stephen McQuillan and Finance Director Stephen King and Chairman Roger McDowell, have got a history of actually acquiring assets, restructuring them, building up businesses, and then actually selling them off. And um, that's that's what they did March last year. They sold off their aerospace division for £65 million, returned £19 million to shareholders, but they made a £27 million profit on that deal and retained about £28 million worth of cash, which accounted for three-quarters of their market cap. So they were actually looking for a deal to do, and they did that deal at the end of August. They bought Hayward Tyler, which is a small engineer. It basically supplies motors and pumps to customers in the nuclear power generation and oil and gas sectors. Hayward Tyler was listed? It was listed, and it got into terrible trouble. Basically, it was overgeared, massively overgeared with some expensive debts. Um, it had credit problems. Um, it went into losses, uh, some of the contracts it took on. Was it, but it's still still winning decent contracts, though. Was, was it overexposed potentially to uh, oil and gas production and exploration? Because I, re- I remember that they came to present here once, Hayward Tyler, uh, and they said, you know, a lot of the stories seem to revolve around the North Sea. And, and obviously this was pre the, the, the price plunge. So I guess I guess they've overgeared uh, at a point when, when the oil price was much higher. Oh, no, no, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. And um, so po- post that, they've gone out winning business in other areas. But they do have some profitable operations. For example, in Vermont in the US, um, it's one of the top-rated suppliers to the nuclear industry, whereas Avintrans, despite the contracts at Sellafield, doesn't have any exposure to that region. So there's a crossover of activities to to exploit here. And what, what the management, I had the management of Avintrans on the phone for about an hour um, talking through this deal. And what what they're going to do is quite simple. Firstly, they've paid off the expensive debt, which um, Hayward Tyler had. Um, they're taking costs out of the business and the numbers which um, N plus one Singer and FinCap are looking at, which is roughly £3.2 million worth of costs in the current financial year to the end of May 2018, and more than doubling that in cost savings the year after, are basically going to return Hayward Tyler back to profit. And the interesting thing about it is that in the 2016 financial year, before it got into difficulty, operating margins at Hayward Tyler were north of 9%. Well, in the forecasts which M plus one Singer of um, put out for the financial year end May 19, May 2019, they're looking for a margin of 5% thereabouts. So if um, the guys at Aving Trans can actually work their magic, and I've got no reason to doubt that they will, um, there should be upsides 
on those margins, and on sixty odd million pounds worth of sales for Hayward Tyler annual sales that is every one percent uptick in margins is six hundred thousand pounds worth of profit. So you know it doesn't take too many percentage points to actually get the bottom line moving quite quite sharply. Um, I also had a word with the directors about um, their, their bid pipeline at the moment and their order book and. The figure they came back with was for the uh, 12 months to May next year, financial year, over 85% of the order book is already supported by contracts in place. So basically that order pipeline is is de-risked. What what sort of upside Uh, are you looking at here, Simon? Significant. Um, I put the shares in at 119 in the portfolio. You could have bought about £2 when it was published or thereabouts. Uh, Share price now is about £2.20. My first target price and it's conservative, it's £2.75, that creates a living times conservative-looking cash profit forecast for the financial year after next. But as I said, you know, there's, there's upside to that, because if these guys work their magic, and these are conservative assumptions, then you could actually enter into an earnings upgrade cycle here. So, yeah, I can see at least 25% upside to the share price. Good stuff. All right, Simon, thank you thank you very much. I mean, you've written plenty more this week, but uh, I'll leave readers to uh, to enjoy that at their leisure in the magazine. Uh, take it easy. Don't do anything too rigorous. Uh, no, no, I'm going to be watching the football tonight and uh, over the weekend too. So uh, ho- hopefully good news for the whole of Britain. Yes, absolutely. All right, cheers, Simon. Speak uh, okay, soon. Okay, cheers. See cheers. you later. Bye. And that just about wraps up everything uh, we want to talk about on the podcast this week. There's plenty more in the magazine, however, um, so uh, make sure you uh, you pick it up and have a read. Um, the cover feature, which we haven't discussed because Rosie is on sabbatical as well, uh, is about the, the, the cost of uh, late-life care. It's a big subject. It's something Rosie and I have both had to deal with personally, uh, and this feature uh, really gets the grits with some of the issues that, that you probably need to address sooner than you might think uh, when, when planning uh, for that stage of your life. The stock market it has, uh, has a role to play in that. Um, lots in the personal finance and fun section, which they will talk about on their podcast tomorrow. We've got another feature actually on the tax of classic cars. Um, apparently, we have some uh, some enthusiasts in the office. Uh, I would love a classic car, but I don't have one. Uh, and John Barron uh, has updated uh, his investment trust uh, portfolios. Alex Newman in the control room has written a nice piece this week on family businesses. Um, again, pick that up. It's something that we we kind of we've got we've got an inkling that there is something here around family-run businesses uh, and their performance on the stock market. And there's lots of evidence, growing amounts of evidence, that suggest that if you can buy into a family business, then 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 you're going to do very well indeed. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Megan, and thank you, uh, Emma. Um, pick up the magazine and all good news agents. The care conundrum. You can't miss it. There's an elephant on. The front cover uh £4.90 in all good news agents or get on the on the website and subscribe speak soon bye bye